Welcome to another episode of the For the Banat podcast. Today is a more serious conversation. Um, I don't have my Banat with me today. Today I'm here with Selma Hamami. Did I say that correct, Selma? Yes, you did. Okay, perfect. Selma and I met at our Tetris and Tea event where we eat, have a good time, have a healing space, and learn how to Tetris. Selma's here. She is a 19-year-old student at UMish. And she is of Palestinian descent. Salma, if you want to tell us more about yourself. Yeah. So hi, everyone. My name is Salma Hamami. I am 19, but um, I'm actually turning 20 in eight days. And I am a student. I'm a rising junior at U of M Ann Arbor. I am currently doing pre-med, majoring in biology, health, and society with a minor in Middle Eastern North African studies. And yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I am also from Nablus and also from Ramun a little bit. So tell me, have you ever visited your homeland? Unfortunately, no. I do face some obstacles with returning. However, I do plan on trying to go back. There's just no time telling when. We do face quite a lot of issues with returning, but um, we are trying to figure out a way to return hopefully soon. Hopefully. I really hope you get to um, visit your homeland very, very soon. It's honestly so discouraging and it's just so unfortunate that you are denied your right to return while any Jew can become an Israeli citizen. Yeah, it's part of their ethnic cleansing process. It's it's insane. So um, we are a girl or woman podcast and I wanted to ask you, how is Palestinian liberation a feminist issue? Palestinian liberation is a feminist issue because the Israeli government and military use the patriarchy to constantly oppress women and use any form of oppression against them. And essentially dismantling the patriarchy plays a huge role in liberating Palestine and Palestinian women to be at the front line and to be able to fight beside Palestinian men. Usually, as we've seen with uh, movements being able to mobilize, Women are at the front line. Women are able to pitch in. Women are able to contribute. For example, with Algeria, um, finding the liberation from, from France, a big role was women being able to support and women being able to come to the table and share their ideas. And with the patriarchy, we're not welcome. You know, we face, we face oppression from the Israeli government, as well as, you know, Palestinian men as well, telling us to, you know, stay in our role or whatever, whatever they're trying to tell us pretty much say, hey, your voice in liberation is not essential for us to obtaining our freedom. And it sucks because, you know, we're silenced from people outside of our community and we're silenced from people within our own community. So it becomes a battle between us and everyone else. And, you know, feminism aims to dismantling the patriarchy and pushing women forward. And, you know, any form of liberation has to come with feminism. It's all very interconnected. And people tend to not understand intersectionality between racism and feminism and sexism and pretty much all of our movements being interconnected. And we really cannot overcome our oppressors if we don't do it together because the patriarchy overall stemmed from white supremacy mm-hmm. and it also stemmed from white supremacy, Zionism. So any form of liberation also includes feminism. 
And that's something that we also need to work on within our own community. Yeah, that's why Palestine is a feminist issue, whether people like to agree or disagree. I 120% agree with you. Also, I've noticed a lot right now um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of our Black brothers and sisters are saying that Palestinian um, liberation is none of their business. It has nothing to do with them when it has everything to do with them because they are facing the same oppression. But people tend to forget. Um, so that's why it's so, so, so important that we don't let this quiet down, that this doesn't become a trend, which also brings me to my next point. We often see that Palestine gets worldwide attention every so years. So like with the Gaza war in 2008 and with 2014 and now in 2020, and I, I don't understand, maybe you can elaborate with me. Why does Palestine tend to get so much attention every so years to just have it die down? As I'm older right now, I'm 21 and I'm seeing this is all news to me. Um, I had no idea that the oppression was this bad, that there was a ethnic cleansing going on. I had no idea. So as I'm older and I'm seeing everything for the first time, I'm just wondering how have they gone away with this and why are they getting so much attention every so years just to have nothing happen? Yeah, so the attention Palestine is getting currently is far from enough, nor is it adequate whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, Palestinians constantly try to make our voices heard, but unfortunately, Zionists control the overall media and have the power and use their power to silence us. We get attention for some time and then it dies down quickly. And a lot of that has to do with people being burnt out. People treat these movements as a trend. They don't consider it a fight for the long run. They consider it a few posts on social media and they think Palestine is liberated from posting a red square. (laughs) They think they've done their part. And it also goes back to a huge problem within our own community with not um, continuously fighting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I 100% understand it becomes extremely exhausting, constantly having to speak on why our voices matter, why we should not be under living under apartheid and occupation. But we also need to remember that we're not the ones living in it. You know, we live in America, we live within the diaspora. You know, people back home don't get that opportunity to just put their phone away and go back to their daily lives. So it's very important for us to remain on top of protesting and amplifying Palestinian voices. And with all honesty, this year, I believe a big reason why we're getting a lot more coverage is because of Black Lives Matter movement being able to mobilize so quickly into placing a foundation and uprise for social justice and human rights you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and overall Black liberation, they've been fighting for so long. And finally, they're starting to get their recognition and the world's starting to wake up a little bit. Um, You know, they're still half asleep, but we're getting there. But honestly, thanks to Black Lives Matter, coding the the foundation and um, pretty much setting setting boundaries and pushing people to become advocates, um, it's really helped us change our narrative or shift the narrative, I should say, and, you know, pretty much let let the truth be known. And that also goes back to what you were saying with Black and Palestinian solidarity. It This really is all interconnected. While Black and Palestinian solidarity, we do face similar struggles. You know, at the end of the day, they are two completely different struggles, but they definitely overlap. You know, with the 1967 Arab-Israeli war, it really rocketed the question of Israel and Palestine onto the front of American newspapers. And Black power activists saw Palestinians as a kindred people of color. 
you know, waging the same struggle for freedom and justice as themselves. And soon concerns over the apartheid spread all over across mainstream Black politics and right into the hearts of the civil rights movement itself. People such as Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Angela Davis, Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, you know, among others, came to the support of the Palestinians. And to this day, Black and Palestinian liberation movements work hand in hand to develop strategies to fight back against their oppressors. And, you know, over 120,000 U.S. police members are actually trained in Israel to learn methods of violence from the Israeli army. And the same army that has killed hundreds of thousands of Palestinians and expelled millions from their homes. A lot of people are unaware, but for example, the tactics used by the police in America, such as kneeling on George Floyd's neck, was learned from seminars with Israeli services. Mm-hmm. And Black and Palestinian liberation movements aim to protest together, you know, exchange methods of survival, defeating police and military brutality, but most importantly, to protect one another. Because the police and military do not protect and serve no. people of color. They protect and serve the governments. They protect and serve the ideologies and concepts within governments that essentially give power to those who do the killings. They, they give power to the laws that allow our communities to remain impoverished. And it really is all interconnected. And same thing with the media trying to make this seem like as if it's too complicated for people to get involved has really pushed a lot of people away from even wanting to address what's going on or condemn Israel's war crimes. And also often I see this ethnic cleansing referred to as a conflict. Tell us why it is in fact not a conflict, although it's so often referred to one. Right. So it's called the conflict to paint this image that the oppressed are violent and that they're also being violent. While there definitely is violence on both sides, it is extremely problematic to conflate the actions of a colonizing oppressive force with that of the people they are colonizing and oppressing. You know, there's a fundamental difference between an oppressed people fighting for their liberation and a government utilizing violence to continue subjugating those people. And violence from colonized people is really just a a boomerang effect resulting from the constant violence and threat of violence Palestinians face at the hands of their oppressors every day. And as we can see, history constantly repeats itself with the same tactics being used to shift the focus and blame onto marginalized groups rather than those in charge of the violence. Mm -hmm. And those in power expect the powerless to submit and not fight back. And when they do fight back, it's considered terrorism. And Zionism is the very thing that caused Palestine and Palestinians to deteriorate and suffer. Mm -hmm. So Palestinians' fight against the Zionist regime is in fact self-defense. And the media, of course, likes to focus on the reaction of the oppressed. They focus on the reaction of the oppressed rather than the cause of the oppression. They like to claim that this is a conflict when Palestinians have absolutely no comparable amount of power or force whatsoever. You know, mm-hmm. more Palestinians have died recently with, within three days than the amount of Israeli deaths within the past 10 years. Um, it's not the same, nor do Palestinians, again, even compare in power. And it is way more complicated than just saying that there is violence on both sides. You cannot claim that that's what it is, because, you know, then again, you are hiding the oppression and the apartheid. Both sides does not exist when one of them is a nuclear-powered, militarized settler colony that is occupying an indigenous population who, again, Mm -hmm. has no comparable amount of force. Palestine doesn't even have an organized army or an organized navy. 
whereas Israel has weapons of mass destruction, nuclear warheads. They're given $3. billion annually from our American tax dollars on top of a $20.5 billion budget that they already have. Mm-hmm. You know, they have nearly a million members within their overall um, military. Um, so again, you cannot compare. There's no comparable force whatsoever. And this rhetoric that it's a conflict is just being used to suppress Palestinian voices. And it plays a huge role in ethnic cleansing. It plays a huge role. Now, when you say ethnic cleansing, what I think is, how is that possible today with the UN? Where is the UN? The UN likes to talk, but refuses to do the walk. They do not put in the right effort. They do not amplify Palestinian voices. Israel, on top of that, doesn't listen to the United Nations. You know, although the United Nations does have power, I feel like they just try to persuade and leave it at that. Nothing more is really being done. And the real powerhouse of the world, unfortunately, is the West. It's the U.S., it's Israel, it's the U.K. It's those countries that have overall control of the rest of the world. Although the U.N. is considered this top-tier organization that likes to fight for human rights, mm-hmm. they don't do much. You know, they, they don't. And Israel and America don't tend to listen to them either. So that's why it becomes very difficult. Even though we do have the United Nations, they're not as effective as they should be. I saw an interview with an ex-IDF um, soldier. He was traumatized by what he had to do, although I'm not giving him any sympathy. There were shifts for the soldiers, a 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift to just instill fear onto the Palestinians, to just knock on their door in the middle of the night, walk in, ask random questions. Where are you from? Who are you? Check out their house. Oftentimes they would take someone, a a child that was asleep for no reason, just to instill fear. And then climb out the window and do it to the next house. That is a normal thing that the IDF soldiers have to do. I had no idea that this was going on. Honestly, it feels like they have zero rights. And I know they have zero rights because I've done enough research, not enough, but enough to know that Palestinians have zero rights, but I'm wondering what rights do they have? So if you could elaborate and tell me what rights that you know of that Palestinians have, please do share. Right. So I think I'd love to talk about the rights Palestinians do have, but they don't have many. So let's talk about the the rights that they don't have. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians cannot return. Life is always on edge. You never know when you might be the next person to be kicked out from your home for an Israeli settler to come in, and you never know when the next bomb will be dropped over your head. They are barely treated as third-class citizens. They're not allowed to vote. They're not allowed to even wave a Palestinian flag. They do not have freedom of speech. Um, They have no freedom of movement. The checkpoints um, instilled within the West Bank and Gaza can make a 30-minute car drive into a 10-hour car drive. Checkpoints as well make it very difficult for people to even visit their families or get an education, you know? If there's not a university within your own village, the likelihood of you being able to obtain higher education is typically out of the question. The likelihood of you being able to work outside of your, your own village or your cities, it's also out of the question because these checkpoints, you never know if you're even gonna be able to cross. And a lot of times these checkpoint rules change. Uh, Sometimes they might have rules where men from the ages of 15 to 40 are not even allowed to pass. 
Um, they have rules where from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., Palestinians are not allowed to pass regardless of if it's an emergency or not. So their freedom of movement is extremely limited. The separation of families, the separation of Palestinians from their homes, you know, this all plays a huge role into the into ethnic cleansing. And a lot of people, especially Zionists, like to claim that Palestinians do have rights. Mm-hmm. Yet again, they fail to even acknowledge our presence. You know, they'll refer to us as Arab Israelis, again, to play a huge role into ethnic cleansing, pretending as if Palestine and Palestinians never existed in the first place. So it becomes very frustrating when we try to talk about the rights that we so-called have when our identities aren't even acknowledged. You know, so they can clearly tell that we don't have rights and they refuse to even refer to us as humans a lot of the times when we'll ask, hey, do you support Palestinian human rights or just Palestinian rights? I often hear the response, oh, I support human rights. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so are you saying Palestinians aren't humans? Therefore, we don't qualify under human rights. And then they'll go back with the argument that we do have rights. You know, it's their argument in general um, conflicts with each other. It contradicts the entire time. So Palestinian human rights is little to none. Wow. I, I knew I knew that they had little rights, but I had no idea there were actually none. Yeah. It's essentially an open air prison. Life in Gaza, like although life in Gaza and life in the West Bank, they are very similar and their struggles overlap. Life in Gaza is way worse. You know, there's a 2 million person population within Gaza, 70% of which were refugees that were originally displaced from their homes and the 1948 ongoing, uh, in the Nakba that's ongoing till this day. Mm -hmm. Um, Their water supply is completely controlled, completely controlled by Israel. 96% of their water is contaminated and undrinkable. Mm -hmm. They get around four to five hours of electricity. So let's say if you have a hospital or a clinic and you need to store blood, you know, it needs to be kept in a cold environment. Mm -hmm. Um, With you only getting four to five hours of electricity, you being able to keep these medical materials, it's almost impossible. And not to mention, Israeli airstrikes have completely obliterated countless clinics, hospitals, COVID-19 clinics, um, hundreds of schools, hundreds of thousands of homes. You know, they've left over 600,000 Palestinians displaced just within the past couple of weeks. The rights that they have, I, I don't even know. They're not even considered human to be even given human rights. So it's just, um, it's an unbearable place for them to live in. Exactly. I couldn't explain that better. Um, I saw a, a 17-year-old man whose dream was to go to Gaza. And he's been trying to for many years. And a gets rejected every single time and he lives an hour away he said that he was living in an open air prison like it was just so unfortunate that he could not even go an hour away from where he was to go visit Gaza it's horrible it's horrible and people have no idea because we've been we haven't seen anything due to the media and due to the censorship Um, But now it's all coming out slowly but surely. And we can't let this die down as a trend. Palestine needs to be liberated. So as a Palestinian, do you think liberation is possible? I do think liberation is possible. And the reason why I think that is, is because 
so many other marginalized groups and communities have been able to overcome their oppressors. It happens and it's possible. It takes a lot of time, but we're getting there. And, you know, in order for Palestine to be liberated, a one state solution must occur. Palestinians must be given the chance to return home free of any obstacles. We must be given back our land. Our country must be put back on the map. We need to be given what was taken. You know, that's the only way for us to uh, achieve liberation. Mm -hmm. You cannot give someone reparations if you don't give it back to them fully. You know, at least giving them back what you stole. You know, usually, for example, if you steal from someone, you take it to court, you are given what they stole from you and more. We're not asking for anything more. We're not asking for anything less. We are asking to be given exactly what was stolen from us. And a lot of people like to assume that Palestinian liberation is going to come at the expense of Israeli lives, which mm-hmm. should not ever be the case whatsoever. We're not saying to kick Israelis out. You know, we are fully aware that they have created lives for a few or a couple generations now within within Palestine. We're not saying, hey, you need to get kicked out because we understand Jews came in originally as refugees. Mm-hmm. And there's no issue with that whatsoever. You know, there's even clips of um, boats and ships of Jews coming in and Palestinians welcoming them, you know, happy to take them in as refugees. And people being refugees is not the problem. Them coming in as refugees is not the issue whatsoever. And so them staying is not a problem. However, Palestinians need their rights. And if them staying there is going to stop us from achieving our rights and getting back what was ours, then that then that's where it becomes them needing to leave because clearly they're only in the land to oppress. And that, that's completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So Palestinian liberation can happen and it will happen. You know, we're finally starting to be able to control the narrative. The truth is finally starting to come out mm-hmm. and we're working on it. We're, we're definitely working on it. It's just, it's going to take some time. I have faith. I have hope. It, it will happen. It's, we just have to remain strong. We need our voices to be amplified. Non-Palestinians need to amplify our voices and we need to unite. You know, we cannot defeat our oppressors if we don't do it together. And overall, we just need to remain strong and remain as fighters. Agreed. 100%. We have to remain determined. This is not a red box trend that will liberate Palestine. We need to remain determined and just keep fighting this fight. But for the average Joe who's, who's seeing these hashtags and seeing these TikToks and posts who wants to help but doesn't know how, tell us how can that person help? For those who want to help and don't know how, I would definitely recommend following tons of Instagram pages or any resources of accounts that specifically amplify Palestinian voices. Reposting on your stories is great. You know, we need people to do that. That's practically the start of our movement because the media refuses to cover the truth. So we as social media users need to use our time wisely when we're when we're online and we need to repost what these Palestinian accounts are posting. And people also need to keep in mind that just because they repost, for example, a flyer to a protest does not mean that they actually attended the protest. You know, they're doing the bare minimum and reposting. I need people to put in that energy to go to these protests. They need to chant. They need to yell. You know, they need to disrupt. We need to have our voices heard. And people too often go to these protests and think that it's a social gathering. 
mm-hmm. um, when it's absolutely nothing of the sort. And um, for anyone else, if they want to help, they can donate. There's a ton of trustable nonprofit organizations that are on the front lines helping people in Palestine. Um, another thing that people can do is BDS. We need people to boycott, divest, and sanction Israeli products. And people can do that with this app. It's called Bycott. It's spelled B-U-Y-C-U-T-T. And overall, it assists with um, determining which Israeli products to avoid. Mm-hmm. And boycotting is extremely helpful because, you know, it calls for an economic and cultural pressure on Israel to stop their war crimes, and it prevents their economy from growing. Overall, it's a peaceful way to protest. The concept is that by exerting pressure on Israel, it will make the status quo more costly to them mm-hmm. and essentially forces the Israeli government to reconfigure where they're going to allocate their funds. And this can cause them to withdraw from the West Bank and to withdraw from Gaza and to spend less money on their military. And the military, again, is what executes the occupation. Mm -hmm. And so if we can retract the money that is being put into the Israeli army, it can put some ease on Palestinians, you know, now that the Israeli army won't be able to have enough funds to go in and continue the apartheid, it can retract that a little bit. And BDS is actually what helped catalyze the end of apartheid in South Africa. It's an effective method to stop the occupation and it definitely helps. So, you know, boycotting brands that partake in the Israeli occupation is a great way to help. And, you know, a lot of brands, unfortunately, support Israel and directly have their factories on Palestinian soil. And although it most definitely is extremely difficult to boycott certain times, you know, we're not asking you to boycott every single company because mm-hmm. that, you know, I understand it, it becomes difficult, but at least try to boycott what you can try to find different alternatives. There's a bunch of other methods to help. There's a bunch of other brands and businesses where your money will be much better well spent. And, you know, this also helps play a huge role in ending capitalism and putting our money into small owned businesses, people who can help on the ground lines rather than people who continue to exploit people of color. If there's a viewer out there that wants to help, boycott, boycott, boycott. Show solidarity. Come to the protest. Typically protesting outside of a building that refuses to condemn and actually plays a huge role in um, contributing to the apartheid. I think that would be a very strong approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that it overall would be an effective method. And I I would say it would be um, a great suggestion. Um, But then again, we also have to look at what the response might be. You know, if it might cause harm to the people protesting it might be better to avoid it but then again being in america you know we might have a better chance of being able to protest for example outside of a company that sells firearms because you know it's not like they can just come out and start shooting us however the police might so we have to take precautions but overall i i I could see that being an effective way definitely okay Um, I do want to end this podcast on a lighter note, as light as it could get. I mean, we are witnessing ethnic cleansing. So I want to know what hope do you see for your people for Palestine? In the future, I hope for us to be 
unapologetically Palestinian without having to face any repercussions for it. I hope for us to be able to walk down the street, wave a Palestinian flag and scream, I am Palestinian loud and proud and not fear our lives being taken. I hope for our country to be put back on the map. I hope for our lives to be valued. I hope for people to, to listen to us. I hope for people to side with us to end oppression, you know, altogether. Um, I, I do see our liberation within the horizon. I see it coming. Um, it's going to take time. And overall, I, I hope for us to, to unite and to remain strong and to, to finally feel like we're valued and to not feel scared mm-hmm. and to overall be able to, to say, hey, I exist, my existence is resistance, and my existence is strong enough to be able to have a country of our own and to have our our country given back to us. And that's honestly the bare minimum. Honestly, it's not asking for much, not at all. Exactly. We want what was taken. Um, And of course, Zionists will hear our words and try to make it seem like we are asking for violence or we are insinuating violence. Or you're anti-Semitic. Yeah. And if our liberation means that you will lose power Mm -hmm. or if you're in fear of our liberation that is clear as day so clear that you have power to oppress us and you do oppress us Mm -hmm. and that is why you are so fearful because they will not be able to exploit Palestinian land Palestinian resources Palestinian human beings for their own benefit Mm -hmm. thank you so 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 much for joining me today on this episode I know it was hard um, to talk about I know it was on my end I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out and educating all the viewers on what's happening and how we can help of course thank you so much for having me I'm so happy I was able to join you for this podcast and you know to end this off free Palestine free Palestine